This is a recording of Place of Crushing, the literary function of Heshlon in Ether 13.25-31 by Matthew L. Bowen and Pedro Oliveria, published in Interpreter, a journal of Mormon scripture, read by Pedro Oliveria. Place of Crushing, the literary function of Heshlon in Ether 13.25-31 by Matthew L. Bowen and Pedro Oliveria. Abstract. The name Heshlon, attested once in Ether 1328, is a toponym in the Book of Mormon most plausibly denoting place of crushing. The meaning of Heshlon thus becomes very significant in the context of Ether 1325-31, which describes the crushing of or enfeebling of Coriantumr's armies and royal power. This meaning is also significant in the wider context of Moroni's narrative of the Jaredite's destruction. Fittingly, the name Heshlan itself serves as a literary turning point in a chiastic structure which describes the fateful reversal of Coriantumr's individual fortunes and the worsening of the Jaredites' collective fortunes. Perhaps Moroni, who witnessed the gradual crushing and destruction of the Nephites, mentioned this name in his abridgment of the Book of Ether on account of the high irony of its meaning in view of the Jaredite War of Attrition, which served as precursor to the destruction of the Nephites. Toponymy and Toponymic Wordplay the observation that the Book of Mormon repeatedly correlates the name Jershon and the land given as a place of inheritance, coming from the Hebrew Yod Reish Shin, to the people of Ammon has laid a foundation not only for more thoroughgoing studies of, of onomastic wordplay in the Book of Mormon, but also for wider study of toponymy in the Book of Mormon. In a number of instances, Joseph Smith's English language translation renders toponyms wholly or partly in English, perhaps so that the narrative function of the toponyms and events pertaining to them are clear to the audience. The translated toponyms Bountiful and Desolation serve important literary functions in the former instance, sharpening the contrast between the Arabian desert through which the Lehites had traveled in the land of abundance to which they were providentially led, and, in the latter instance, the contrast between the permanently devastated land northward where the Jaredites met their demise and where history began to repeat itself among the Nephites and all the rest of the land that is repeatedly characterized as choice above all other lands. Desolation and Bountiful particularly provide contrast to each other in later Nephite toponymy. Other names like Jershon, however, are transliterated but untranslated, and yet, using our knowledge of the languages that the Book of Mormon writers said they used, we are able to propose reasonable suppositions about their etymology and literary function in the context in which they occur. Thousands of newly converted Lamanites had recently entered into a covenant with the Lord and needed not merely a place of refuge from their unconverted brethren who threatened them, but a place or a land of inheritance, a Jershon such as had historically accompanied covenant-making by the patriarchs and ancient Israel, including the Nephites themselves. The name itself functions in the Lamanite conversion narrative, and later, as a sign that the Nephites themselves recognized and approved of the covenant that Ammon's converts had made, even though they apparently felt that they would be unable to fully assimilate them into the population of Zarahemla. In this brief article, we suggest a similar literary phenomenon involving the name Heshlon in Ether 13, 28 through 29. 
Moroni mentions the plains of Hishlan as the scene of a great reversal, both of a victory and defeat for Coriantumr that epitomized not only the fluctuating and worsening fortunes of Coriantumr personally, but for those of the Jaredites collectively, all of whom had rejected the prophet's ether's call to repentance. The Nephites of Moroni's time, for whom flight from the land of Nephi and the decimation of the people of Lemhi were fresh memories, probably would have appreciated the significance of military events at a place that connoted place of crushing. Moroni himself in later years would not have failed to appreciate the ironic parallels between battles that he witnessed during his own lifetime, fleeting victories over the Lamanites, followed by the increasingly devastating defeats at the hands of the Lamanites that led to the destruction of the Nephites as a nation. Like Mormon's ominous use of the toponym translated desolation in Moroni 5, 7, and, and excuse me, in Mormon 3, 5, 7, and Mormon 4, 1 through 19, the untranslated toponym Heshlan serves as a kind of literary cenotaph for what eventually happened to both the Jaredites and Nephites due to their failure to heed prophetic warnings. They were crushed and ultimately destroyed. Heshlan as a Israelite-slash-Nephite toponym. Like Gilgal, Heshlon is a toponym of Semitic origin, which the Nephites either newly applied to their geographic environs or adapted as an alteration or updating of existing Jaredite toponymy. Both names occur together within the same verses and within the same context. Hugh Nibley classed Heshlon with the names Emron, Jashon, Moron, etc., on the basis of the archaic Semitic on termination. According to grammatical rules preserved in Hebrew, the on termination on both personal and place names was a particular nominal or adjectival form serving as an appellative that described some feature or aspect of the site named. John Tavetnis, who has suggested that the name, that the on suffix in these names denotes place of X, suggests that Heshlon is formed from the Hebrew verb hashal, as attested in Deuteronomy 25.18, where it is stated that the Amalekites attacked the crushed or the feeble, i.e. the stragglers, Hane Hashalim, at the rear of Israel's host. Here, hashal is used in a military context. In addition to the attestation of Hashal in Deuteronomy, the Aramaic cognate Hashel is attested in Daniel 2.40, And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth the Hashel all things, and as iron that breaketh all things shall it break in pieces and bruise. End of quote. The King James Version translates Hashel as subdue, but its use as a top as a synonym of dalet kaf kaf break in pieces or crush in small pieces indicates that a better translation would be crushes the context here is also a military one marcus jastro suggests that post biblical hebrew hashal means quote to scrape off polish to reduce End of quote. And in the durative peel stem, it means to crush or batter. In support of this, he cites Kocheleth Rabbah 1.6, a Midrashic text which describes how the Lord breaks, crushes, or weakens the force of the wind by means of the mountains. 
This extra-biblical attestation of Chashal has possible relevance for Moroni's description what happens to Coriantumr at Chashlon, whose army's strength was crushed, enfeebled, or blunted to such a degree that Coriantumr hereafter had no power to constrain the Jaredites from shedding blood in mass. Intriguingly, the Sifre Devarim, or Sifre Deuteronomy, a rabbinic exegetical commentary on the book of Deuteronomy, commenting specifically on the Chashel, excuse me, Hane Chashelim, mentioned in Deuteronomy 25.18, interprets this word as a reference to the children of men who have withdrawn themselves from the ways of the existence, i.e. the Lord, and have crushed away from underneath the protective wings of the cloud. The Jaredite nation, like the Nephite nation, was crushed and destroyed precisely because they had withdrawn themselves from the Spirit of the Lord, and the Lord has thus withdrawn His Spirit from them. Jastro glosses the Targumic Aramaic term chashal or chashil, quote, to furbish, forge, or hammer, end of quote, something. A chashla was a furbisher, or a smith, with the secondary sense to plan, as in the modern English, forge a plan or hammer out a plan. Here, too, the word shin lamed suggests the action or product of the action of striking or dealing a blow. Just as importantly, Hebrew chashal, or Aramaic chashel, are both cognate with the Akkadian verb hashalu, which means to crush or to shatter. As a military term, it means to crush in the sense of destroy. For example, Ishtar crushes the insubmissive. It can be used statively of a person who is crushed. We can say then with some assurance that Hebrew hashal meant to crush with the idea of making feeble, in that its usage was at least sometimes a military one. Thus, Heshlon, with the toponymic on suffix, would mean place of crushing, i.e. place of a crushing, and would make sense as a Semitic, Hebrew, and even a Nephite name. Although its sole attestation in the Book of Mormon is in the story of Coriantumr and the destruction of the Jaredites, it appears that the name Gilgal, which is noticed above, noted above, is a Semitic name. Moroni, relying on Mosiah's earlier translation, or his own memory of that record, frequently uses Israelite-slash-Nephite toponymy rather than Jaredite, or at least updates Jaredite toponymy. Beating and Crushing The Repetition of Beat and Heshlon By the time Ether came to Coriantumr and uttered his prophetic ultimatum, Coriantumr and his sons had already fought much and bled much. Immediately thereafter, the name Heshlon occurs within the greatest concentration of the word beat, i.e. defeat in a military sense, anywhere in the scriptures. The word beat, as in attack and destroy, occurs as a military term 20 times in the Book of Mormon. First in Mosiah 21.8. Mormon uses beat as a military technical term nine times, eight times in his personal record, Mormon 1-8, and once in Mosiah 21.8. Moroni uses beat, eight times in ether compared to only one by another Book of Mormon writer, Helaman once. 
Tellingly, Mormon and Moroni together account for 19 of the 20 uses of beat as a military technical term. This is unsurprising considering the relentless beatings, military victories, and defeats that they witnessed, these culminating in the final crushing and extinction of their people. But it must be significant that the verb beat occurs in the largest cluster here, five times, in Ether 13, 23-30. We suggest that the name Heshlan, place of crushing, has been juxtaposed with the verb translated beat in a fivefold repetition as perhaps a synonymic wordplay involving Heshlan and its root meaning, place of crushing, in order to emphasize just how disastrous this series of battles was for the Jedi Nation. Coriantumr and his opponents beat and crushed each other so severely that Coriantumr's royal power became fragile and his opponents became too feeble to overthrow him. Thus, the Jaredi bloodshed hereafter became unstoppable. The nation was doomed at Heshlan and Gimigal as a close reading of the structure of Ether 13, 25-31 also suggests. Although the structure of any text can be variously arranged and diagrammed, Ether 13, 25-31 exhibits a mar- remarkable degree of chiasticity. Heshlon can be viewed as a turning point of the chiasm. A. Lowercase a. Now, there began to be a war upon all the face of the land. Lowercase b. Every man, lowercase c, with his band, lowercase d, fighting for that which they, he desired, lowercase c, and there were robbers, lowercase b, and in fine all manner of wickedness, lowercase a, upon all the face of the land. Capital B, lowercase a. And it came to pass that Coriantumr was exceedingly angry with Shered, lowercase b, and he went against him with his armies to battle, lowercase a, and they did meet in great anger, lowercase b, and they did meet in the valley of Gilgal, and the battle lowercase a, became exceedingly sore, lowercase b. And it came to pass that Shered fought against him for the space of three days, capital C. And it came to pass that Coriantumr beat him, capital D, and did pursue him until he came to the plains, X, of Hishlon, capital D. And it came to pass that Shered gave him battle again upon the plains, capital C. And behold, he did beat Coriantumr, capital B, and drove him back again to the valley of Gilgal, lowercase b. And Coriantumr gave Shered battle again in the valley of Gilgal, lowercase a, in which he beat Shered and slew him, lowercase a. And Shered wounded Coriantumr in the thigh, lowercase b. Then he did not go to battle again for the space of two years, Capital A, lowercase b, in which time all the people, lowercase a, upon the face of the land, d, lowercase d, were a shedding blood, lowercase b, and there was none to constrain them. A dash a. The chiastic structure of Ether 13.25-31 is bracketed with the phrases, upon all the face of the land, and... Upon the face of the land. The phrases every man and all manner of iniquity correspond to the phrases all of the people and there was none to restrain them and are linked by the synonyms and antonyms every, 
all, and none. Ether 13, 25-26 evidences a small self-contained chiasm, the center phrase of which, fighting for that which he desired, emphasizes the nature of the pandemic conflict during Ether's and Coriantumr's time. There is elemental progression at the end of the chiasm, A, as every man becomes all of the people, fighting for that which he desired, worsens to were a shedding blood, and a ubiquitous national amorality is amplified by the fact that now, quote, there is none to constrain them, end of quote, and not Coriantumr's authority, and still less the Spirit of the Lord. B-B. These elements emphasize two different battles that were fought in the Valley of Gilgal. These elements also describe a time factor attached to both battles, i.e. that Sherid fought Coriantumr for the space of three days, and that after the second battle, which culminated in Shered's death and a near-mortal wound for Coriantumr, the battle did not go... Excuse me. The latter did not go to battle again for the space of three years. The great anger described in B bears awful fruit in the death of Shered and in Coriantumr's massive loss in the second B. The space of three days mentioned in B becomes a space of two years in second B. C-C. Coriantumr's defeat of Shered in C is matched by the unexpected defeat of Coriantumr by Shered in the second C. Narrative progression in the chiasm is marked not only by the opposite outcome by the, of the second battle, but by Shred's driving Coriantumr back to the Valley of Gilgal, which was mentioned twice in apostrophe in the second C. D-D. The D-D element set up the plains as the scene of the battle that will dramatically change and worsen the fortunes of Coriantumr and the Jaredi nation as a whole. A pursuit becomes a battle upon the plains, and Coriantumr's presumed route becomes something wholly different from what he imagined. Chiastic Center X, Heshlon. The name Heshlon in the text, Ether 1328, marks a reversal of the text's structural flow. Appropriately, the battle on the plains of Heshlon marks a dramatic reversal of Coriantumr's expectations and fortunes. What Coriantumr had hoped would be a final victory of Shered, his archenemy, instead turned into the crushing or breaking of the strength of his own forces on the plains of Heshlon. Although Coriantumr subsequently beats Shered and his forces again in the Valley of Gilgal, Coriantumr is badly wounded and his forces so defeated that he cannot enforce any authority over his kingdom. Quote, All the people upon the face of the land were shedding blood, and there was none to constrain them, end of quote. This description reminds me of Moroni's earlier words following the extinction of the Nephites, quote, The whole face of this land is one continual round of murder and bloodshed, and no one knoweth the end of the war, end of quote. Perhaps accidentally, but ironically, the name Gilgal, which is repeated three times in Ether 1327-30, in connection with the name Heshlon, connotes a circle or round, Perhaps a cycle. Coriantumr and his supporters, who had not only rejected Aether's prophecies, but also sought to kill him, began to reap the consequences of their actions. The mention of Heshlon, 
place of crushing. Serves in Ether 1328 as a didactic inference that the judgments of God, as pronounced by a prophet, are inescapable. From this point forward, the narrative drives inexorably forward toward the final Jaredite destruction. Coriantumr cannot and does not escape Ether's prophecy. Although Coriantumr eventually prevails over Shered, Coriantumr itself is wounded and cannot constrain Jaredites on either side of the conflict from their willful shedding of blood. New arch enemies rise in Shered's stead and deal further defeats to his armies as, off, as often as he is able to do the same to them. Before long, the Jaredites on both sides are crushed to extinction in a war of attrition. Unlike Shez, when the Jaredites had, fin- had previously nearly warred themselves into annihilation, Coriantumr will not be able to build up a broken people. The curse is set, and the entire nation will be completely destroyed. Moroni's Late Literary Use of Hishlon Moroni's late use of the name Heshlon in his abridgment of the Jaredite record may owe a literary debt to Mosiah's earlier translation of that record, even if Moroni wrote his own account from memory. Moreover, it is possible that the idea of place of crushing originally referred to some feature of the toponymy of that place. It is additionally possible that this toponym was applied to those plains by earlier record keepers in connection with previous battles. However, one can only speculate on these points. Nevertheless, Naming a place after that which occurred there was not uncommon in ancient Israel or among the Nephites. The open plains, including the plains of Heshlon, are sites of battles in at least four places in the Book of Mormon. Moreover, one cannot rule out the possibility that a Jaredite name that denoted something like place of destruction was rendered Heshlon by Mosiah and then left untranslated left, excuse me, transliterated but untranslated by Joseph Smith. The name Heshlon may even constitute an adaptation or updating of a similar Jaredite name. And yet, the key point is that the Hebrew root He-Shin-Lamed denotes crushing, and that the affixation of the appellative on termination, together with the expected vowel changes to the root, easily produce Heshlon in the meaning place of crushing. In that case, the name Heshlon would have been especially evocative for Nephites, both to Moroni, who witnessed the crushing of his nation, but perhaps also to earlier generations of Nephites, including those who lived under the reign of King Mosiah, some of whom had experienced wars with the Lamanites under King Benjamin, and others of whom had been King Noah's and King Limhi's subjects, and had seen nearly and had been nearly destroyed in all in ill-conceived wars. It is certainly clear that Mosiah's initial translation of the Jaredite record is a major motivating factor in his and the people's decision to bring monarchy to an end. For them, the name Seshlan in desolation would have been unambiguous portents of what monarchic evil and covenant disobedience could bring upon them. We likewise can and should consider the portents evident in these names. Conclusion We have made a possible, if not a compelling case, that Heshlon is is of Semitic origin, was a toponym whose meaning would have been significant to the Nephites and would have meant place of crushing. These observations are significant when we consider Moroni's abridgment of the Jaredite record and his concluding scenes, which describe the fulfillment of Ether's prophecies regarding the total destruction of the Jaredite nation. 
Heshlon, the place of crushing, sits appropriately at the chiastic center of a block of text which describes the reversal of Coriantumr's fortunes to the great weakening of his power, which eventuated in additional bloodshed and loss of life. If these observations are not amiss, Heshlon represents yet another instance in the Book of Mormon in which Nomen est Omen. The name is the sign. The authors would like to thank Robert F. Smith and John A. Tavetnis for suggestions and approve this paper. Matthew L. Bowen was raised in Orem, Utah, and graduated from Brigham Young University. He holds a Ph.D. in Biblical Studies from the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., and is currently an assistant professor in religious education at Brigham Young University, Hawaii. He and his wife, the former Suzanne Blattberg, are the parents of three children. Zachariah, Nathan, and Adele. Pedro A. Oliveria is an independent researcher from Southern California. He has a BA from UCLA in Asian Humanities. This has been a recording of Place of Crushing, the literary function of Hishlon in Ether 13, 25-31 by Matthew L. Bowen and Pedro Oliveria, originally published in Interpreter, a Journal of Mormon Scripture, Volume 14, 2015, pages 227-239, read by Pedro Oliveria. This audio recording is copyrighted under a Creative Commons license and may be freely distributed if it remains unchanged. The journal and its website are credited and is for non-commercial use. A printed version of this and many other articles and resources on Mormon Scripture can be found at mormoninterpreter.com.